Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Blanchard River Watershed Solutions scored a victory when the Conservancy Court last week approved plans for the much-debated Eagle Creek Storage Basin, why they believe it's a victory for the community, and details on the project timeline. Also this morning, we live in a time when the definition of what is ethical can be rather fuzzy. But is American society a lost cause? How all of us have the opportunity to reclaim an ethical world one choice at a time. And is it time to reboot your health and wellness routine at the midway point of the year? We have some help for a healthier you. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, July 12, 2021. Today, kind of interesting, is Different Colored Eyes Day. Uh, It is known as heterochromia, a condition that often gives people two different colored eyes. It is a genetic condition for 11 out of every 1,000 people, but it can also be caused by disease or injury, which I thought was kind of interesting. And it is more common in animals than it is in humans. Uh, Most notably, certain breeds of dogs and sometimes cats will have different colored eyes, but it happens in humans, too. It's called heterochromia, different colored eyes day. It is International Town Criers Day, uh, honoring the town criers that deliver the news. That's what we need. We need to bring back the town crier. We need to... Somebody get Mayor Mern on the phone. We need... To hire a town crier to stand down at the corner, right in the heart of downtown, right Main and Main Cross, just stand there, right uh, in the uh, on the corner, and uh, deliver the news uh, each day. We need a an official town crier. I think that would be something that would set us apart from other communities. We'll get on that. National Eat Your Jello Day, National Pecan Pie Day. Is it pecan or pecans? Either way, it is National Pecan or Pecan Pie Day, Paper Bag Day, and it is Simplicity Day, which is probably appropriate. If it's Paper Bag Day, it must be Simplicity Day. Uh, let's see here. So, uh, waking up to a new week, if you are a little groggy, you know, they say that, uh, exercise can help you, uh, can help you get, uh, a more well-rounded night's sleep, uh, for whatever reason. And it can also give you energy through the day if you have maybe not slept enough and you need to wake up, you're a little groggy. You can do it with caffeine. Or you can do it with some vigorous exercise. It'll give you a burst of endorphins or whatever it is that wakes you up. However, none of it is a good substitute for getting enough sleep. Researchers in the UK found that higher levels of physical activity might be able to counteract the negative uh, impact of poor sleep, but only for a brief time. Study, uh, Study authors say that exercise and high-quality sleep definitely have very good effects on health, but poor sleep associated with a high risk of uh, all-cause mortality. So it ties into all different causes of premature death. And those risks were markedly exacerbated among participants with insufficient exercise. So the long and short of it is, they say, that you can counterbalance some of the effects of not getting enough sleep with vigorous exercise, but it is not a long-term solution. The assistant nutrition digital editor of eatingwell.com, Jessica Ball, who was not involved in the research, by the way, she's just commenting on it, says, with as with anything, choosing whether to wake up and exercise or sleep in, varies based on every individual situation. There is no right or wrong answer. That said, if you are consistently consistently sacrificing sleep for morning workouts, it could be worth trying to restructure your routine to work out at another point of the day. Exercise will not be as beneficial to your body if you have racked up a significant sleep debt. 
So, uh, don't feel guilty. The long and short of it that I take away from that is don't feel guilty. The alarm clock goes off and you think, boy, I should get up and go for a run or go for a vigorous walk this morning. I don't feel like it. You roll over and go back to sleep. Not a problem. That's what, that's what she's saying. Uh, let's see what else is uh, going on here in the, uh, actually a lot of the stuff, uh, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most buzzworthy stories has to do with uh, sports. And I thought this was uh, kind of interesting. Joe Pepitone is suing. Is that how you pronounce the uh, Joe Pepitone uh, ex Yankee from years ago? Um, he is now suing the baseball hall of fame for $1 million dollars and the return of a historic bat used by teammate Mickey Mantle. Apparently, Peptone filed the lawsuit earlier this month in a federal court in Utica, New York. The 80-year-old claims this is his story. He says he let Mickey Mantle borrow his bat, and as it happens, Mantle hit his 500th career home run using that bat, during a game back in 1967. He says that Mickey Mantle then gave him the bat back. Hey, thanks for letting me borrow your bat. (laughs) But team personnel later confiscated the bat to give it to the Hall of Fame because it is such a historic piece of baseball memorabilia. Now, in his lawsuit, Joe Pepitone says that he was told by baseball officials that he could have the bat back whenever he asked for it. But now... He's asked for it, and the Hall of Fame says the bat belongs to them. No, he can't have it back. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes, but it was kind of an interesting uh, lawsuit. Uh, Did you catch the uh, finals of the Euro soccer tournament yesterday? Uh, England, a crushing defeat to Italy in penalty kicks. I thought this was kind of interesting leading up to the match. British soccer fans vowed to avoid Italian food for 72 hours. This was actually, um, what, late last week in anticipation of the big match. Um, Italy played England in the final at Wembley Stadium in London, and fans uh, doing anything they can think of to bring their team luck. Uh, Some fans swore off all Italian food until... The end of the match. Uh, They said, we are sticking to fish and chips or other traditional British food until kickoff. Uh, They they said they will use uh, cheddar cheese instead of Parmesan, put bistro gravy on pasta instead of tomato sauce. And some went so far as to say, we are not having pizza until the match is over. None of it worked. Uh, Italy won in penalty kicks. I, I saw that story actually over the weekend and I kind of had a chuckle and I thought, how crazy are these British fans for their soccer? Uh, but then I got to thinking we really shouldn't laugh because what do we do in the state of Ohio, uh, Michigan week, (laughs) you you know, how crazy Buckeyes fans get, uh, at Michigan week, eliminating the letter M from everything. So this seems like kind of uh, child's play by comparison. So, uh, much uh, much happier time uh, in Tampa Bay this week, I guess. Is it this week? They're going to have a, a big parade for the uh, Stanley Cup champions. And Coors Light Beer has a new brew in honor of the Tampa Bay Lightning called Champions Ice. And yes, it does contain used ice collected from the Lightning's home rink during the Stanley Cup final, <laughs> they're using actual ice they collected from the rink to brew this limited edition beer, Champions Ice. It'll be available on tap in Tampa area bars and in 32-ounce collectible crowlers all this week. Coors says to get the ice for the brewing process, they use shavings collected by the Lightning Ice crew in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup final. It put the shavings in stainless steel hydro flasks, hydro flasks and shipped them overnight to the Coors Brewery in Golden, Colorado. Coors, of course, the official team beer, the Tampa Bay Lightning. <laughs> Presumably, it was uh, 
sterilized and sanitized before <laughs> it was used to turn into the beer. Oh, goodness. <clears throat> so anyway, that's some of the more uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. Here's hoping your uh, weekend was a good one and uh, getting a new day started, a new work week started. And by the way, this is a full work week. Uh, none of this uh, four-day shortened work week because of the holiday stuff. None of this sissy stuff like we had last week. This is a full week we are kicking off today. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, mostly cloudy today with a chance of showers and storms, a high of 83. Showers likely tonight, a low of 71. The Maumee Watershed Conservancy District Court has voted to add the Eagle Creek Floodwater Storage Basin to their official plan. Mayor Christina Mern is happy the project received the go-ahead, saying it will go a long way in alleviating the city's flooding problems. This has been an issue that's plagued our community for far too long, and I'm really excited that we were able to take this next step, continue to move flood mitigation forward. There's a lot of hope in our community that we're finally going to get some resolution and no longer just be afraid every time it rains. The 600 to 800-acre storage basin will be constructed west of U.S. 68 and north of Township Road 49, just south of Findlay. Get more on the project on our website. The Findlay Police Department says a woman was injured in a crash that happened when she reached for her cell phone and crashed into a parked vehicle. It happened in the 3000 block of Norcrest Street. Police say the 22-year-old was taken to Blanchard Valley Hospital for a possible head injury. Police say the woman was issued citations for driving left of center, no operator's license, expired registration, and distracted driving. The American Civil Liberties Union of Ohio has filed a lawsuit seeking redistricting records of Republican lawmakers' efforts to redraw the state's congressional and legislative districts. The lawsuit claims House GOP lawmakers, including Speaker Bob Cup of Lima and Representative Bill Seitz of Cincinnati, refused to respond to a records request by the ACLU in February. It sought to obtain any redistricting-related records, including emails from Cup, Seitz, and other legislative staff involved in the ongoing process. ACLU lawyers say receiving the records will help them monitor the state's contentious redistricting process carefully. Angela Ann, ONN News. The Hancock County Sheriff's Office is warning people that a certain scam is popping up again. The Sheriff's Office says the caller states that you have a warrant for your arrest and you need to post bond by purchasing gift cards. The Sheriff's Office says if you receive a call like this, simply hang up the phone and never give out personal information. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Jump right into our cover story this morning. Uh, piggybacking on the big news at the tail end of last week, the Conservancy Court approved plans for the much-debated Eagle Creek Storage Basin to make that a part of the overall flood mitigation plan. Many see it as a big victory for Blanchard River Watershed Solutions. They believe it is a victory for the entire community, and Tim Miley is with us once again this morning. Um, you had mentioned uh, a number of times, just kind of reiterate this, uh, the uh, pro- uh, progress or implementation of the uh, Eagle, Creek, Eagle Creek Storage Basin was not necessarily contingent on the con- Conservancy Court's approval, but it is more than just a vote of confidence, correct? Yeah, it really allows us to get to where we want to go and... It, it allows us to continue the, the pursue funding and continue engineering and, and land acquisition and, and ultimately get this built. So what happens next? And, and you talk about what this means and, and how this will progress. I, I think there may be a misperception among some that uh, you're ready to turn dirt on this starting right away. And it is true that you have acquired some of the land already necessary for this, but not all. So kind of tell us what happens next. Give us sort of a timeline uh, of the uh, pl- uh, project at this point. Sure. So we've acquired a little over 400 acres so far, and we have about another 250 acres that we will be assigning to the Conservancy District uh, sometime probably later this year. And that will get us close to the majority of the land that we need. 
And during that time period, Stantec will continue their engineering and working through that process. So by the end of this year, we'll be we'll be pretty close um, to the land acquisition, with the exception of a of a few few areas. And you know, we'll be working with those landowners, and also we'll be working with the engineering team to determine do we need those pieces of land, do if we need to work around somewhere. So I'd say by the end of the year, we'll have some really good visibility of what this is what this is going to look like towards final design, and then that wall. By the end of next year, as Steve Wilson said at the at the hearing, uh, we may be ready to go out to bid by the end of next year. So this uh, still is a ways away from actually coming to fruition. Just to interject, and you talk about land acquisition, does uh, making this a part of the overall official plan from the Conservancy Court, does that allow you to use eminent domain to uh, acquire the land that is needed uh, if you cannot reach an agreement with a landowner? Yeah, the, the, the Conservancy District has very broad powers, but we, we've said from the very beginning, we have no interest in using eminent domain. We're going to do everything we can to work with landowners and and not have to use that. That is truly a, a last resort, and you know, it's something that we've held to this entire time. We've had lots of meetings with landowners, so... So they understand um, what the project looks like, how it would impact their home or farm or property if it were built around them. Or so that that's been something that we're going to continue to work on, and we will work with anybody who would like to to talk to us that would like to understand it further. But uh, technically, the Conservancy District uh, has the ability for eminent domain. But we uh, at least Blanchard River Watershed Solutions, one of our one of our main goals has been to not have to ever use that. Will Blanchard River Watershed Solutions then uh, be the, I guess, entity uh, that will oversee this process? Again, you talk about what has yet to happen uh, with land acquisition uh, through the end of this year, by the end of next year, uh, being mm-hmm. ready to bid and and all of that. All of that uh, it, pre-work that needs to be I, done, is that still being overseen by Blanchard River Watershed Solutions, or do you no, hand that off? I, you know. You know, Blanchard River Watershed Solutions is probably going to start, I wouldn't say winding down, but it's really up to the Conservancy District at this point. Mm-hmm. The only really final piece that we have is to transfer over the property or assign the property that we have, and that's going through the same process as before with the, with the appraisals and the environmental, uh, with the ODNR money that we received. There, there are uh, plenty of boxes we have to check to make sure that the, the land is okay for the conservancy district to take it on. So yeah. work working through that, but you know, it's it's really the conservancy it's it's now part of their official plan. And without it being part of their official plan, it was difficult for them to to work on Eagle Creek storage basin. So it, it just makes it a lot easier for them now to uh to get this thing over the finish line. And is this the penultimate uh part of the overall flood mitigation plan? Uh, in other words, once this is done, have we done all that we can reasonably do? Is this like the end of uh, of that project? Have we have we completed the task once this is done? It's pretty much the capstone. If you look at, we we still have some major tasks that need to be completed or that are underway. And I can tell you an example: driving in the office this morning, Martin Luther King Bridge, uh, they've got that under construction on the other side now, mm-hmm. going forward. So. We're still doing some roadways. There still needs to be work done on the Norfolk Southern Bridge and right. the additional benching. So when you, you take a look at it, we've only completed phase one benching, but the other we so we've got three major projects to go: the Eagle Creek, the NS Bridge, and the phase two benching. But I guess the ultimate is that totals 36 inches in reduction in a hundred-year storm, which is one of our goals of where we where we wanted to get, and then. Going forward, then it's going to be proper maintenance of the creeks and the rivers and the, and the structures that we build, and just making sure that the that everything's cleaned up. But this is definitely the most important project in terms of how much 
reduction you get from one individual project. And it certainly is a significant uh, amount of flood reduction when you look at those numbers. Really quickly, before we let you go, I want to ask you to take off your uh, Watershed Solutions hat and once again put on the uh, uh, Economic Development hat. Uh, also last week, big sure. announcement that RNL Carriers uh, announced their development plans uh, for uh, Finley. What does... What is that? What do they bring to the area? How do they fit into the overall economic makeup of the area? Sure, sure. I, I just got to add. I just got to add one more thing on flooding, Chris. Before we go yes. on to the RL carriers, it's just a, a huge thank you um, to put this in perspective. We were coming back and making some phone calls Friday afternoon, and 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 one of them was actually Gary Heminger, and he said, "You know, we started this in 2007, and I did a lot of time this weekend reflecting on." the amount of people, and there's no way I can list them all. I'm not going to start listing them all. But so many people since 2007 on the local government side, the state government side, the federal government side, engineering, that all played a role in this. And ultimately, it was good engineering and good communication that the Conservancy Court approved this on. So I just wanted to say thank you to everybody out there that was uh, participating in that. Mm -hmm. On the RL RL Carriers Project, you know, this was an interesting project because we started work with them about two years ago, pre-COVID, and then COVID hit and, of course, put everything a little bit on the sidelines. And about six months ago, we started working with them. And one of the main reasons I, I really like the project is you see RL carriers in town right now, and they're servicing a lot of our industry, and clearly we're here, but they're also a family-owned company, and they invest in the communities that they participate in, and they've proven to that to us uh, through this process when we're working to get them here. And it was a really good start through regional planning commission. You may have seen in the press release, we talked about them being introduced to the Finley formula, but we had them in town in May with the mayor and director of regional planning and the utilities and our whole, whole economic development team. And they wanted to do this right from the beginning and make sure they were complying with everything and being good neighbors. And the result of that was a regional planning or a city planning commission meeting last week where we had no one opposed to the project that was there. Yeah. And that, that is all the credit to RL carriers because they are being very responsible and, and worked with everybody involved in the permitting process and have designed it according to the city code. So looking forward to them to joining the business community. I thought it was interesting, again, as you kind of alluded to, obviously we have a number of distribution warehouses and and so on that it seems like a carrier company such as RNL would fit very nicely into the puzzle there given a lot of the other industries that we do actually have here already. Yeah, and their, little, their business model is a little bit different than everybody else because they are, uh, if you look at the site plan, it's a very narrow building. It's just a cross dock. So they're not warehousing material. Mm-hmm. And think about it like when you're flying uh, on an airplane and you're flying out of Detroit and you catch another airport to get on another plane. Yeah. That freight is coming to Finley to catch another truck to its final destination. Again, uh, Economic Development Director Tim Miley uh, talking about the uh, Conservancy Court's uh, approval last week of the Eagle Creek Storage Basin and his role with Blanchard River Watershed Solutions and, of course, the news last week of RNL Carriers' uh, investment in Findlay as well. Tim, thanks very much for the update. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You know, we live in a time when the definition of what is ethical can be rather fuzzy, depending on what side of the political aisle you sit or what side of a business deal you are on. But our next guest says that being trusted is the cornerstone and foundation of our greatest personal freedoms. Dr. Christopher Gilbert is a senior international ethics consultant and popular keynote speaker. He is author of the best-selling book, There's No Right Way to Do the Wrong Thing, and his new book is The Noble Edge, Reclaiming an Ethical World One Choice at a Time. And boy, Chris, you have really grabbed a hot potato here. You realize that you are taking on an issue where people always have very strong opinions at a time when those opinions are even stronger than ever. Absolutely true. And, uh, you know, when I started this book, and this was a number of years ago before the uh, second version here came out, The Noble Edge, uh, I didn't really see the amount of toxicity in the moral era 
that we were facing. And so the timing of the book has much more to do, I think, with the process of putting it together and uh, going through the different experiences I did than any particular lesson at this particular time. But you're absolutely right. We've reached some kind of an era where it's as though everyone has the right to be right in their own way, even if it's wrong. And uh, what the book is really meant to do is try and let people understand that the really ethics are there to tell us what is right and what is wrong, even if the situation around it may seem very gray. But hasn't the idea of what is ethical always been something of a gray area? Well, you know, I think it's important for us to understand that that uh, saying ethics are gray is like uh, using the phrase sort of pregnant or I sort of voted. Um, you know, <laughs> it is that either you are or you aren't uh, being ethical. Uh, it is that you did or you did not uh, vote. Um, and there is actually solid ground to stand on when it comes to ethics. And we're starved for it. So instead of looking at ethics as philosophical or iffy or legal or even religious, um, it's remarkably more effective for good decisions uh, to think of ethics more like uh, the guardrails on both sides of a bridge. These guardrails, they're not a penalty. Uh, they're not about being legal. They're not about avoiding sins or even a set of world rules. Those guardrails are our protection. Um, they aren't a sanction, a policy. They're a privilege. Uh, that allows us to drive as fast and safely down that path across the bridge as uh, we're able to do so, and we're doing it together, right? So all of us have to monitor where those guardrails are. And imagine crossing a bridge if it didn't have guardrails. Um, so I think if we can look at ethics as that privilege that helps us uh, guide our way uh, within certain boundaries uh, together, then we can kind of take the philosophy and the iffiness out of them. Again, I don't want uh, people to misunderstand that there are situations that make it very difficult mm -hmm. to make the right ethical decision. And, and the circumstances around an issue may be very gray, but the ethics themselves are meant to tell us what's right and what's wrong. I guess this is the other uh, risk in writing a book on ethics. To what extent are people predisposed to an ethical or unethical mindset? I mean, how much of it is is nurture versus nature? Yeah, that's a really good question, you know, and I think the debate is going to rage on a long time uh, about whether it's nature or nurture. But I'll tell you what my research shows. We can frame every ethical choice we make in just three ways. The outcome of my choice is about me. The outcome of my choice is about some of us, my family, my friends, uh, even my neighborhood, my nation. Um, or the outcome of my choice is about all of us, which is the highest moral step. So we climb up and down those uh, three steps every day and every ethical choice you make, um, you're standing on at least one of those steps. Uh, it's about me, it's about some of us, it's about all of us. So to your question, our ethics, nature and nurture, I think both for sure, uh, but each one of us has the capacity to climb those three steps and the either through or despite our upbringing, our education, our life experience, we can either become comfortable staying on the lower steps and concentrating on the ends for me, um, or we can choose to live into our capacities and, and make the climb. And I think we're hardwired to progress, uh, right? So it's, it's genetic in us to actually be more tomorrow than we are today. So I think that actually creates a lot of hope. Yeah, that we can think about ethics in a different way, whether it's nature or nurture. Want to ask about a couple of specific concepts uh, in the book? You talk about having an ethics out of body experience. What in the world do you mean by that? <laughs> a good question, and really one of the greatest reasons that I decided to sit down and write this book, and that was based on the teaching that I was doing as a university professor and the consulting that I was doing in you know different boardrooms across the world. And I began to realize as, as we were studying uh, case studies, you know, these examples of the people in the, especially high profile people that have made terrible decisions that have cost millions, billions of dollars and, and uh, hundreds of thousands of jobs. I could see in the people that were doing these case studies, we might be able to understand um, how those high profilers making those bad choices got to where they were. Uh, but the people that were studying this, and I'm sure I was uh, guilty of this as well, were having what this, I called this ethics out of body experience, where they were saying, well, those horrible people out there are making the bad decisions. Of course, that's nothing I would ever do. I would never make that kind of mm -hmm. decision. Yeah. All while we're downloading illegal software, cutting people off <laughs> on the freeway, fudging on our taxes, right? 
so I realized that there had to be a different way to talk about this so that we could personalize what was going on. And rather than studying high profilers and kind of coming to this conclusion, uh, it's us that make the good decisions and it's bad people that make the unethical <laughs> ones. We could look at our own decisions every day uh, on this ethical radar screen and see, yeah, where do I stand when I cut someone off on the freeway or when I uh, fudge on my taxes or, as I was saying, other examples? Yeah. You were also kind of touching on this a little bit earlier. You talk about climbing the moral ladder and uh, interesting uh, pick up on the uh, verbiage here. Do you delineate between ethics and morals? Uh, yeah, and that's a, a common question as well. It's a good one. Um, I, I, the way that I've delineated it in the book, just to make it easier, is that morals are really the standards of the individual or group about what's right or wrong, and ethics are the actions that we take after an examination, however brief or long, uh, of the morals. So I think the best way to think of it is that morals are in the talking and ethics are in the walking. Hmm. Here is the eternal question. Can you be 100% ethical and still be successful? I mean, whether we're talking about business, politics, whatever, if anything goes for everyone else, don't you have to at least be willing to dance around the edges or else get run over? Yeah, uh, the uh, corporate executives that I work with are often asking this question in terms of their organizations. And there's some great quantitative data that shows what it means to be an ethical organization, an organization that's uh, about social responsibility of some kind. And those that wind up at the lower end, there's the annual poll that's done by Gallup and Ethisphere. So I'll give you uh, a couple of facts here. I don't want to rattle off a bunch of statistics, but a couple of facts about the, the top 100 companies in terms of being ethical and the bottom. 100 companies in terms of sort of turning away from ethics, the top 100 companies have a 22% increase in profitability that comes simply because they're examining, they're building trust, they're thinking about community, they're thinking in a larger sphere than just the organization's profit. There's a 21% increase in productivity, a 37% decrease in employee absenteeism. So you begin to realize that if you start to take this atmosphere of trust on, and you're building trustworthiness among executives and workers. And of course, those are individuals. Um, and this often spills over into their personal lives, not just inside the organization. The organization itself actually excels past the organizations that decide that's not something they can do because they need to make whatever choices they need to make at the time mm. to be profitable. And so, too, for individual lives as well. I'm sure you have heard people say the whole world is going to hell. We've maybe passed the point of no return in this country now. You still hold out hope that at some point we wake up and kind of turn around what seems like a tidal wave right now? Uh, I'm, you know, even though I spend my life in this over the last 25 or so years uh, and, and looking at examples of what's right and what's wrong and, and what's been done and what hasn't, I'm incredibly optimistic. Because I think this uh, era that we're in especially has, has sort of created an atmosphere where people are using uh, uh, their, their uh, sense, uh, even if it's pessimistic sense about what's going on, to ask questions. So I see more and more people, whether they're individuals in, in uh, educational institutions, uh, profit or nonprofit organizations, they're beginning to ask uh, the right questions together about what we can do to put ourselves in alignment uh, with a lot greater potential and capacity uh, than we see out there in the in the, uh, the the entire world, I suppose I should say. But I think uh, to your question specifically, um, I see from my perspective a sense of hope that what's going to change this uh, are people that begin to participate more in a lot of things. Right? I mean, let's take democracy and government for a second. Representational democracy doesn't work if no one's participating. Mm -hmm. And I think we see, even if it's a rough patch that we're going through, that participation level is going up. And in some ways, of course, we've needed that to happen for a long time. So I think this energy can be used in a very different way. I see it being used in a different way, wittingly and unwittingly, um, so that people are beginning to ask questions about the choices that we're making. An awful lot there to chew on, but a very timely topic. Dr. Christopher Gilbert is a senior international ethics consultant and a keynote speaker. Uh, the book is The Noble Edge, Reclaiming an Ethical World, One Choice at a Time. And do you have a website where folks can learn more about the book? 
Absolutely. They can go to uh, Noble Edge Consulting. That's all one word, nobleedgeconsulting.com. Uh, or uh, that's probably the best place. The book is available now in, in ebook. The print book will be released on August 10, uh, but you can get it now in ebook. And there's some fabulous reviews uh, that I had nothing to do with. So the readers <laughs> are actually picking up on some of the things that you did. Uh, Barnes and Nobles, Indigo Books, uh, Amazon, all those places. So this is quite exciting. We will link up to it on our webpage. Uh, Chris, thanks very much for taking the time. Best of luck with the book. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Sometimes you don't have to go too far to find the broken news. We have not one but two stories right here in the Buckeye State. Story number one, an Ohio State trooper is being credited with saving a driver who is having a medical episode... But it turned out there was more than meets the eye. Trooper Charles Hoskin pulled over the suspect for speeding just east of Akron the other day. Dashcam video shows Mr. Hoskins or Trooper Hoskins uh, approaching the driver, Stephen Elash. And it appeared that uh, Mr. Elash was choking on something. He, he couldn't breathe. He was choking. So the quick thinking trooper pulled him out of the car, performed the Heimlich maneuver, and saved his life, performed the Heimlich maneuver until Mr. Elish coughed up a bag of weed. (laughs) He had apparently swallowed the bag so as not to get caught with his recreational marijuana, which, of course, is illegal in Ohio. The trooper can be heard telling the guy, seriously, you risk death to avoid a minor misdemeanor. <laughs> uh, he, he did not get, I would think if it were me, I'd think maybe this guy's learned his lesson, but uh, <laughs> the, the trooper did give him a, a speeding ticket, a citation for failed, failure to wear a seatbelt, and yes, he was cited for possession of marijuana so (laughs) oh chalk that up to the category of sounded like a good idea at the time just swallow my weed and that's now it didn't work out not to be outdone a man in south euclid was pulled over by the cops outside of a walmart and uh, arrested for allegedly calling 911 to report a shooting a few blocks away in an effort to beat the ticket (laughs) Muhammad Kabir, age 34, was driving with a suspended driver's license in a vehicle with expired plates. And in an effort to deter officers from the traffic stop, uh, thus avoiding a series of traffic citations, Mr. Kabir, when the uh, officer went back to his car, you know, to run the plates and, you know, do all that, you know, how officers do, right? And you get pulled over. He decided he would take that opportunity to call in a fake 911 call of a male being shot on a street near the Walmart, uh, thinking that that officer would then be dispatched to the more serious crime. Instead, a quick thinking police dispatcher was able to ping the caller, uh, ping the 911 call right back to the Walmart where he'd been pulled over and the phone number of the caller matched the mail that was on the traffic stop because the officer was running his ID. So the dispatcher knew what was going on. Uh, The dispatcher alerted the officer and Mr. Kabir was arrested and charged with making false alarms as as well as multiple traffic violations. Again, sounded like a good idea at the time. But neither of those are the dumbest criminal in the broken news this morning. That award would go to 36-year-old Matthew Robinson, who raided a Dick's Sporting Goods in uh, Pennsylvania. And I'm not sure exactly where in Pennsylvania this was, but it is in Pennsylvania. He uh, absconded with $2,000 in unpaid merchandise 
at a local Dick Sporting Goods. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and he maybe would have gotten away with it. But unfortunately, as he was loading up his vehicle, he came across an item that he didn't really want. And so, and so he moseyed back into the store to return it. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, hey, wait a minute. I didn't mean to steal this. I'm just going to take it back. <laughs> Employees confronted him when he came back into the store. Um, police were called and they arrested him. Uh, they have security footage of him stealing the items, so it's pretty much an open and shut case. Mr. Robinson faces two charges, retail theft and receiving stolen property. Uh, all of the, all of the, it ended up all of the items he uh, stole were returned to the store, but <laughs> you try and be honest <laughs> and see what it gets you. <laughs> I stole the wrong thing. I'm going to return this. <clears throat> Strange story out of Omaha, Nebraska. Close to 200 people are being advised to get rabies shots after being exposed to a rabid bat at the local zoo and aquarium. Here's the story. Apparently, they had a gathering of overnight campers who were participating in a special program, uh, able to uh, do a sleepover at the zoo. And during the course of the sleepover they discovered that several brown bats had gotten into the aquarium building one of the oops one of the uh, 200 people who were at the sleepover tested positive for rabies about 186 people were given refunds for the event which I suppose is the right thing to do. The zoo is also paying for their shots and their treatment. Officials say they do not know how the bats got into the venue, but it appears that they were not there for long. So getting rid of the bats. <laughs> Oops. <clears throat> Put that in the category of best laid plans. A, a turn into a marketing disaster there for the zoo. And finally, in the uh, broken news, this is your uh, viral uh social media thing of the of the day uh posting of the day in uh, Vancouver, Canada, it is very expensive to rent an apartment. It's kind of like San Francisco, Seattle, um all those places in the Pacific Northwest in this country, Vancouver just north of Seattle and in Canada, British Columbia, also very expensive. And that is why because housing prices are so incredibly out of sight, Maybe why the micro studio advertised on Craigslist could have sounded intriguing. As reported by the blog VancouverIsAwesome.com, the uh, rental in the since-deleted Craigslist post was going for a relatively cheap $545 a month. The good news is that the micro studio apartment comes with a bathroom. The bad news is it is a bathroom. <laughs> The micro studio, as it turns out, is actually just a bathroom in someone's home with a very small bed jammed in there. <laughs> it was only up for about 48 hours, either A, because it violated city regulations, or B, because somebody rented it already. I don't know which one it is, but there you go. That, <laughs> that is today's broken news report. This update and the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile app for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Time now for your daily download. The numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Seem to remember a couple of weeks ago we had a story, possibly in the daily download, it was about how younger people are much more likely to forego cash for cashless options like debit cards or credit cards or even 
you know, like the apps like PayPal and Venmo and uh, all of those. But it does appear that despite the fact we are transitioning, we see more signs of transitioning to a cashless society, we are not there yet. And in fact, the death of cash may be greatly exaggerated. New survey of 1,500 Americans find that a majority believe using cash helps them better budget their money. That's a big Dave Ramsey principle. Uh, And there are things that they do actually prefer to pay for with cash. In this one poll survey, 51% say that they say that using cash helps them budget. Members of Generation Z actually most likely to agree with that statement. And at 52%, the most uh, most like uh, the most let me see this here at 52%, the mostly like to prefer cash to other payment methods, 52% looking at what Americans prefer to pay cash for. That's kind of the meat of this here. Fast food top the list at 47, uh, 44% uh, people prefer to pay for fast fast food uh, with cash candy and snacks, 37% coffee at 32%, your daily cup of coffee pay for with cash, 32%. And gasoline, 27%. However, when something is more than $31, people would prefer to use another payment method. That seems to be the tipping point. $31. Um, 36% withdraw cash from their bank account specifically for tipping. Even if they pay the bill with a card, they tip in cash. Survey find Americans keep an average of $52 in cash on them. And three quarters keep an emergency cash stash at their home uh, with an average of $89. Well, you remember the other day we were talking about sort of uh, rebooting those New Year's resolutions that you make at the beginning of the year. Now we're halfway through 2021 and we were focusing on kind of business solutions or business resolutions and and uh, financial and and so on. Well, the other category that a lot of those uh, best uh, goals, best intentions we start off with are in the category of health and fitness. And so it's a great time to uh, take stock of your health and wellness now at the midpoint of the year. Set yourself up for success in the second half of 2021. So joining us with some tips to help you maintain those healthy habits, health and wellness expert for the Bountiful Company, Nicole Hayes. And uh, this obviously, Nicole, is uh, top of mind like never before. As we said, it's always a, a big thing, but especially you know, given where we are right now. Yes, absolutely. I mean, in supporting your health and wellness and remembering to support it is not easy. Getting healthy habits in like walking every day or getting any exercise you need or eating right or getting enough sleep. Those are hard things to do. And I think starting is always the hardest, but it's the one thing that keeps it going. So for me, I have two dogs. They forced me to take my daily walk. And now it's something that is a constant part of my day. And I look forward to it. Um, And working for a vitamin company has really also helped because we're constantly creating new ways to make it easier to get the vitamins you need to bridge gaps where you may have them in your health and wellness routine. Um, In fact, Nature's Bounty just launched last month a new line called Curated Combination. So these are, this is a line of four different personalized pill packs. Each pack has three vitamins in them that you need to target specific wellness goals. So say your goal is to get a good night's sleep. There's a pack for that. If you want to match your day, there's one for that. If you want to get the daily essentials you need, there's one for that. So really easy way to remember to take the vitamins you need to reach a goal every day. Another great way is a multivitamin. So if you want to just get those baseline essential vitamins you need, I love Sundown's option. It's a clean brand. It's gummy, so it's delicious. Really easy way to remember to get those essential vitamins. And then I particularly love Sundown Kids gummies. Um, I have three kids. They are obsessed with these. They actually asked me to bring some home with me when I come home today because we're running low. Um, They come in fan favorite characters like Star Wars and Disney Princess and Frozen 2. And it helps kids bridge those nutrient gaps because let's face it, they're not all eating their vegetables every day, especially (laughs) my kids. Yeah. Uh, 
So, uh, some some great uh, examples of things that we can uh, add to our daily routine to help with overall health and wellness. The other part of uh, you know making sure that we maintain good health and wellness habits and routines and so on uh, is that this helps uh, alleviate stress, which I think everybody is dealing mm. with uh, stress even more so these days than normal. Right. The last year and a half has been overwhelming, and I think we've all felt occasional stress at some point. Nature's Bounty knows this. They're on the pulse of what consumers are looking for, and they just launched this new product called Stress Comfort Fast Testing Calm last month. What's really cool about it is there, it is a new kind of format. So it's a chewable watermelon cool melt tablet. It dissolves in your mouth, and it releases this watermelon chill flavor. There's a cooling sensation. It dissolves quickly, and then it helps soothe your mind response to occasional stress. So really great way um, to support that occasional stress management. Let's talk about uh, cognitive uh, health. Uh, What should we be Mm. doing to make sure that we uh, have the uh, best brains uh, that we can? We've said this before, uh, just like everything else, your brain is another organ of your body. you got to make sure that you are exercising it and taking care of it just like every other part of your body. Right. I mean, cognitive health is a concern for people no matter their age. Factors like energy and concentration and memory are all big top of mind. I know for me, short-term memory, like I'm losing my keys or my phone constantly. So I love that we're helping support this area of health. Um, I'm not a video gamer, but I truly love this product. So this is called Brain HP. This is really interesting. So it's a jelly bean vitamin. It helps video gamers... Um, support their focus, their reaction time, their visual perception, and their attention when they're video gaming. Mm. What's great about this is there's no caffeine. It's drug-free. There's no jitters. Um, and then for the non-video gamers, non-video gamers out there, uh, there's also a product called Brain Superfood. So I like this one because it's vegan, it's plant-based, and there are an- antioxidants in it that support brain health, and in particular, short-term memory and concentration. So like I said, I'm losing my keys or my phone, like I try to remember to take this because it just gives me that little added help I need. So anything else that you can suggest uh, ways to focus on our overall health and wellness? Well, I, I think for me and for probably a lot of folks, I think feeling good from the inside out is important. And one way I like to treat myself is with our hair, skin, and nail jelly bean vitamins. These are brand new. Another jelly bean. I'm obsessed. They're really tasty. They are strawberry, watermelon, and berry flavored. They have two times the biotin of our normal formula to help support healthy hair, skin, and nails because that's just like a specific area that I'm always looking for help with. Um, and then, you know, all women at some point or another were going to experience menopause. My mom went through it and it really affected her physically and emotionally day to day. And Solgar, our premium brand, has just introduced this new product called Menopause Relief. More than 90% of women showed improvements in their symptoms with this product. So symptoms like irritability and anxiety, mood swings, even hot flashes, they showed improvements in. So I, like, I love that this is really helping women and that all these products are helping everyone, no matter who you are, from the inside out to feel better and to be your healthiest. And they make it easy. Again, taking stock of our health and wellness uh, at this midpoint of the year, heading through the rest of the summer and into uh, the fall and winter season. Uh, Again, health and wellness expert for the Bountiful Company, Nicole Hayes, with us this morning. Where do we get more information? You can find these products and more right now on Amazon.com. Nicole, thanks very much for taking the time. (laughs) We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. I thank all of our guests for joining us. And once again, remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media. Shoot us an email if there's something you want to share with us directly. Uh, use the Contact Us link. Sign up for our daily email newsletter and lots more. Again, goodmornings.net is where you find all that and more. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.